know, in the last 10 years, we've just had countless examples of very, very high profile instances of you know, sexual misconduct, abuse, harassment, hazing, gambling, inappropriate behavior, integrity concerns, competition, manipulation, etc. that has um, reinforced the need for a system like ours. You know, when I first started talking to people years ago, the question sometimes that I got was, well, is it better not just to know about it, right? Like, at least if I don't know about it, then I can say, if I'm ever questioned, well, I wasn't aware, versus if I know about it, now I'm accountable for it. And I think people have really shifted now to, it's much better to know about it than to not know about it. And then the, rest, the, the best place to be in is to be able to say, yes, I knew about it, and here's everything that I did thereafter. And oh, by the way, everything I did is exactly what I was supposed to do. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Dirt. I'm your host, Jim Barnish, and today we are lacing up our shoes and hitting the hardwood with a founder who's not only scaling a business, but also creating much safer environments in sports institutions across the country. Our guest, David Chadwick, founder and CEO, his company, Real Response, a platform focused on feedback monitoring and anonymous reporting in sports. In this episode, we'll dig deep into the efficient use of capital, strategies for tapping into proven markets, and unravel the trends happening in the dynamic world of athletics. Before we start, I want to remind you all, please subscribe on The Dirt on your favorite podcast platform. We love hearing from you, so feel free to reach out as well. Now let's break ground and dig into The Dirt. All right, David, let's dig right in. Who is David Chadwick and what is Real Response? Yeah, my name is David Chadwick. I'm the founder and CEO of Real Response. And our mission is pretty simple. We elevate voices. We make it easier for people to be able to speak up, share their feedback, questions, concerns, and equip the leadership of these various organizations to better understand culture and to address potential issues before they become problems down the road. And when you say people and organizations, what types of people, what types of orgs are we talking about? Good question. It's changed a lot recently. So for about five years, we operated exclusively with college athletic departments. I'm a former student athlete, which I know we'll get in more detail in just a second. But in the last few years, we've expanded beyond college athletics to professional sports leagues and clubs, Olympic national governing bodies, various integrity groups, even have gone overseas to begin expansion in outside the U.S. And now we're even expanding beyond college athletics on our various institution campuses that we work with. So at the end of the day, we appreciate these expansive opportunities because we can stay true to our mission, which is, again, providing that safe space for people to speak up no matter who they are. All right. So you got your start in college sports, uh, both individually and as an entrepreneur. Talk, talk to me a little bit about uh, that journey from being the college athlete to now serving college athlete and other organizations? Yeah, journey is the right word. Um, yeah. Began as a class project. So I was taking a class where I had to come up with an idea. At the time, I did not know what entrepreneurship was. I knew that it satisfied a credit that I needed to, to graduate. So I took the class and I had to come up with a new idea. And at the time, myself and many of my peers were struggling with feeling like we didn't have a way to speak up and to use our voice. Um, and to be able to share everything from feedback to questions to concerns. As a recruited student athlete, you come in and get a very short and glorified version of what your experience is going to be at that institution where 
they take you to the nicest steakhouse and you stay in the nicest hotel and you maybe interact with a few students or, or classes, but you don't really get a, a true glimpse into what it's going to be like. And I found myself going, gosh, there has to be an easier way to do this. We're now in the era of having all these user review websites, various ways to collect feedback. There should be a better way to be able to understand experiences and to be able to, to share those with others. So at the time, I wanted to come up with the equivalent of TripAdvisor, Yelp, Glassdoor, where student athletes could rate their experiences. And then that information could be used publicly for recruits to be able to use when making a decision of which institution they wanted to go to. So we called the company Real Recruit. Um, I, I thought it was a great idea. And I began to cold call and cold email athletic directors. There was over 300 athletic directors across the country, and I interviewed over 200 of them. And I pitched them on this concept. And it was really easy to get people on the phone when I could say, hey, I'm a current student athlete doing a class project and I'd love to get your feedback versus, hey, I'm selling you something. Will you give me a few minutes of your time? And I had so many people respond. And if I had a really good call with someone, I'd ask them, hey, who are three people that you could give me their names that I could reach out to to get their feedback and to interview them as well? And it was like this just sprawling tree pretty quickly where um, I had all these different folks that gave me names and who I could talk to. I even, you probably remember this, um, this is when the ice bucket challenge was really big. Yeah. I'd go watch the ice bucket challenge. So I'd go watch your ice bucket challenge because at the end you'd say, now I nominate these three people. And I'd go, and after watching that, I'd know, Hey, Jim's close to that person. So I'm going to try to get the intro to that person after that. So anyways, um, I interviewed over 200 ADs in that year period. And what I asked them is how do you currently get feedback from your student athletes? And what are the challenges you have in that process? And I began to hear recurring themes we find out about stuff when it's way too late. If we would have known earlier, we could have addressed it. Um, student athletes don't participate in the ways we have right now. And the recurring theme that I heard over and over was frustration. We don't have a way to be able to collect this. Then I pitched them on this concept of, well, maybe this could be used publicly where you could collect feedback from student athletes and market yourself to prospective student athletes. So I, um, I, I tabled that idea and I ended up transferring to another institution where um, as a result of sitting out a year for my, for my transfer, I had a fifth year of eligibility and I did my MBA with a focus on entrepreneurship where I had to come up with another idea. And I didn't want to do that. So I said, I'm going to recycle the idea that I had before and pick that class project back up and really dove into it. Um, and I went to my athletic director at the time and I pitched him on this concept. I said, hey, what do you think of this model where I could use a software to help collect feedback from your student athletes um, you could measure experiences, culture, et cetera, and then use it publicly to market to recruits. And this was like the first entrepreneurship 101. He said, hey, I love the idea of collecting feedback. I love the idea of being able to better measure culture before it becomes a bigger issue down the road. But I would never <laughs> market it publicly. Like, I don't want to air my, my dirty laundry. And he was the first that really helped me understand um, and then after talking to others during that market research of, ah, there's probably nothing public here to chase after. But internally, there's clearly an appetite of athletic directors saying, hey, we don't have a good way to be able to gather feedback from our student athletes. The ways that we're doing it right now are outdated. We do an exit interview. So we asked Jim on his way out, hey, how'd your last however many years go at this institution? Oh, by the way, it's way too late to address your issue three years ago, but We'd love to know about it now. Um, or they might do a uh, open door policy. You're going to come in my office and tell me if I have an issue. Just 
really, really uh, old ways of doing it. Some yeah. groups tried to do a survey, um, but even then people weren't participating. It was pen and paper. I had one school tell me they were still doing the Scantron number two pencil where like people were bubbling in the, the circle with the answer they had. Just just very, very archaic. Um, so after hearing all that feedback, I, uh, I, I was able to connect with some people locally who helped take ideas for non-technical co-founders to life. Um, and we just built this really basic version 1.0 of Real Recruit, which was a survey platform. And I went back to the ADs that I had had really positive conversations with. And I said, hey, remember me? I did that class project last year. I'd love to show you what this became. And sure enough, I had a good number of folks that said, great, I'd love to see it. Even a few that said, I'd welcome you to come in to present to our senior staff. And the very first one that I did was Wake Forest University here in North Carolina. And I'll never forget, I came in with like this big baggy suit and I'd hacked together this presentation, pitched them on this concept. And afterwards they said, can you send us a proposal? And I made up a number and they said, we can't do that. Could you do this? And I said, absolutely, yes. So the, they were our first customer. And then quickly soon thereafter, we had others that came on and said, yeah, we're willing to do this too. Um, so we launched that first year with about a dozen schools as a survey platform. And what was interesting, Jim, and honestly unexpected is the student athletes began to use that end of year survey to bring forward really serious concerns, stuff that should have come out much, much earlier. Um, teammates are selling drugs and coaches know about it. Um, sexual harassment, hazing, abuse, so-and-so's having sexual relations with a teammate, verbal and physical harassment, you just name it. And the immediate response from the folks that we were working with was, holy smokes, you're telling me this was going on in my athletic department right now? And the answer is yes. But the, the, the second answer and response was, well, we can't wait till surveys anymore, right? Like we need a mechanism for student athletes to come forward at any time because clearly they trust your system for whatever reason. It could be the third party appeal. Maybe we made it easier for people to come forward. Maybe it was the mission statement of you know, being built by athletes and for athletes. But after those came in, um, we then built out our second product, which was that real-time anonymous communication platform. So at any time, student athletes could come forward not have to wait for just that end of your survey to be able to share needs, share questions, share concerns, et cetera. So we listened really closely to our customers from really that 2015 to 2020 period and built what they asked us to build. And we added the real-time anonymous reporting. And then we added another documentation system so they could have good records of how they were handling issues. And, you know, we're really blessed to see tremendous growth in the college athletics period for that, for that five-year period. Um, that's incredible. Ahead, I'm sorry, what? I said, go ahead. You question? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, college sports is just such a rapidly evolving field with with so many emerging trends, which is a lot of a lot of good, a lot of good in that. Are there any trends in in particular that have significantly impacted the growth and uh, customer base of real response? Yeah, I think most entrepreneurs would tell you that oftentimes there's call it luck or divine or whatever your source of inspiration is timing on your side. And, you know, in the last 10 years, we've just had countless examples of very, very high profile instances of, you know, sexual misconduct, abuse, harassment, hazing, gambling, inappropriate behavior, integrity concerns, competition, manipulation, et cetera, that has, um, 
reinforce the need for a system like ours. You know, when I first started talking to people years ago, the question sometimes that I got was, well, is it better not just to know about it, right? Like, at least if I don't know about it, then I can say if I'm ever questioned, well, I wasn't aware versus if I know about it, now I'm accountable for it. And I think people have really shifted now to it's much better to know about it than to not know about it. And then the, rest, the, the best place to be in is to be able to say, yes, I knew about it. And here's everything that I did thereafter. And oh, by the way, everything I did is exactly what I was supposed to do. Um, so I think these unfortunate, and I don't mean to, to not put sympathy on the victims and what they've gone through, because it's been horrific in many of these examples. But these situations have reinforced the need for people to be able to have a way to speak up and, and share the concerns that they have. So how do you guys stay ahead of the curve when it comes to new developments? Let's just start with the collegiate sports space. Is there Are there any specific strategies to predict uh, or respond to these trends? Yeah, it's something that I have done from day one of starting my business. And what I tell everyone in our staff is customers, customers, customers. Talk to your customers. Give them the opportunity to tell you what they need. Allow them to answer your questions, test your hypothesis, because at the end of the day, they're the ones, especially if they're willing to pay money, that are going to help answer those questions that you have and help you direct on where you want to go versus the worst thing that you can do is to sit in an office or a boardroom or a whiteboard session with your team and draw all these things that you think are going to happen. But until you get in front of your customers, it's just impossible to know. So we are very intentional. I mean, I'll pick up the phone when I'm driving on a road trip and just call one of our customers and check in and we'll just be catching up. And then all of a sudden it'll be, hey, this is an area that we're really sensitive to right now. And these are some of the things that we're doing. And my head will start spinning. And, well, have you thought about doing it this way? And could we help you in that in that way? So I, it is so important to be connected to your customers and really never to lose that either. I know as you scale, it becomes harder, but um, I think it's extremely important. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Customers, customers, customers. And and there's there's a lot of recent events that have uh, thrust athletes' mental health and well-being into the spotlight. How Are there any specific things um, that have needed to be adjusted in terms of the response due to heightened awareness around those types of issues? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, our system creates a confidential way for people to speak up, but then it really becomes up to the organization on how they want to message and position it as, you know, one extreme would be a hotline and the other extreme would be a suggestion box. Um, and what we're seeing now is people using the platform to raise mental health concerns. Um, a concern about themselves obviously could happen. You know, something as simple as I'm really struggling. Who can I talk to? But what we're also seeing is people raising a concern about somebody else, because oftentimes they're the ones in the weeds as a teammate, as a friend that knows what's going on in someone's personal life. You know, hey, so and so's parents are splitting up or they just broke up with their significant other or um, I feel I'm worried about him or her because they're really drinking too much. Right. Like those are the early indicators that can sometimes identify and prevent a bigger tragedy from happening. Um, we had a real life example of this where one of our partners called me and said, hey, I just wanted you to know that through your platform, we think we saved a life. And I was really curious. And I said, well, how? And they said, well, we had an athlete that anonymously alerted us that a teammate, a roommate had not come out of the room in the, few in the last few days. And they were just concerned about him or her. 
Well, we addressed it and looked into it immediately and found out that person was considering self-harm. We hospitalized them, provided them with resources. And if we wouldn't have had that early indicator of yeah. a teammate just saying, hey, I'm worried about this person because they're not coming out of the room, who knows what could have happened, right? Days or weeks could have passed where you know, more internal turmoil happens, more questioning. And, you know, God forbid it gets to that point of someone really considering that or perhaps even doing it. So, yes, mental health has become a big focus of ours. And I, I, I applaud all these athletes, you know, like Michael Phelps and Simone Biles and others who have spoken up about their own mental health concerns, because I think it's um, it's it's made it more normal for people to speak up and they're more comfortable doing it. And, you know, we just want to be the conduit and, and, and giving them that way to be able to speak up where maybe they didn't previously have a way to. That's incredible. What, what a, what a cool KPI life saved, right? For like sure. what a, sure. what an, what an incredible thing to, to put a stamp on. So when, when you look at some of the uh, more specific and you mentioned Simone Biles, um, you know, gymnastics is one of the environments that comes to mind. You know, are, are there any specific um, environments or areas where uh, these unique environments, factors and challenges have come up and, and how you've had to adapt specific to those areas? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the, the company was seated, as I said, in college athletics. And I tell people college athletics has such a unique power dynamic where you have athletes that are many times having just left their home for the first time that are dealing with a power dynamic of if I speak up and share an issue with you know, someone that's much older than me, perhaps, or a teammate, I'm, I'm worried about the repercussions, right? And their gold currency is their playing time. If they're dealing right. with the sport in that space, it could be their financial aid where maybe they wouldn't have had the financial aid to be able to, to attend that university. Otherwise it could be career ambitions where I'm speaking about, about this person who could potentially hold my life in their hands and my goals of getting into coaching or whatever. So that was the space that we knew really well and helped provide a solution for. But once we got beyond college athletics, and I know we're going to get to that story in just a second. Um, what we realized is the power dynamics, not unique just to college athletics, right? You go to a professional sports franchise, right? A multi-billion dollar organization. And you have employees who want to work there, who are oftentimes turning away jobs that could pay them more. Um, maybe have a, a faster acceleration of the career path because they want to be in sports or they want to work for this professional sports club. Maybe they're a fan of that specific team and there's more emotional ties to, to their job. And as a result, they are more likely to perhaps deal with some of the questionable behavior of issues that are going on, inappropriate comments, touching, et cetera. And then there's also that power dynamic, right? Like this is my dream job. I'm not going to speak up about what's going on because I don't want to have the repercussions of losing that job and perhaps being blacklisted after that. Yeah. It's the same when you look at the NGBs now, right? Like you have these high, high caliber athletes who are striving to, to, to be in the Olympics, which is the pinnacle of success in that world. And they are more likely to deal with these types of inappropriate behaviors, um, deal with perhaps things that are questionable because they don't want to have the repercussions of not being able to make that elite, that elite goal that they've had for many of them since they were a child. So I, I think the power dynamic and the inability for people to, in absence of a system like ours, have a way to speak up for, 
without a lack of repercussions is where, where a lot of these tragedies have happened. So let's talk about what you started to mention around the growth, not necessarily outside of college sports, but from college sports to other areas where you guys have been able to grow into, um, you know, what, what drove that journey? You know, what is, what does that look like today? And, yeah. and that would be great to learn a little about. So as an entrepreneur, you want to do everything and you don't have the time to do it. So, <laughs> you know, for years, I thought there was an opportunity outside of us for college athletics because the things we deal with, they're not unique to college athletics. They're going on all over the world. Um, it really hit close to home when I watched the issues with the Carolina Panthers, with us being in Charlotte, where you had some women speaking up about the abuse that they were experiencing. And um, But we were never able to pen penetrate well into it, just honestly, time and capacity and everything else going on in the college space that we just stayed narrowly focused there. Um, what changed that, ironically, was COVID. In 2020, um, when the pandemic happened, I got connected with the NFL Players Association, who are just some tremendous people and very, very innovative. And at the time, they wanted to have an NFL season, which you might remember was unprecedented then. Like, why are we having an NFL season when we have this pandemic? But they knew to be able to have a season, they needed people to follow COVID protocols. So wear your masks like during our away games. You can't sneak out of your hotel and go to the bars, perhaps like you've done in the past. Right. Like everyone has to follow protocols, because if you don't, we cancel the game that weekend. And then there's enormous revenue implications. So they asked us to build out um, a little bit of a custom platform for them to be able to have a way for people to anonymously alert them if folks were not following protocols or if they had questions or concerns. And we did that for them. Um, and it went really well. The following year, they expanded beyond COVID to any health and safety concern that a player might have, misconduct, abuse, harassment, et cetera. And once they did that, um, it was really the, the, the catalyst for pretty quick growth beyond college athletics. You know, we began to partner with national governing bodies, USA Swimming, USA Track and Field, US Equestrian and others. Um, we had pro clubs that approached us, which was awesome around implementation in their space. That was even a little more unique. It was an HR focus where employees could report misconduct, harassment, abuse to their leadership, partnered with a dozen NFL teams in just one year. Um, pro leagues came to us and said, hey, we have these um, more similar to college athletics, right? Like these more traditional, what I call antiquated hotlines, but we want to modernize it. Like we want to make it easier for people to report. Could your platform do that? And yes, the answer was yes. So we partnered with you know Major League Baseball and NASCAR and groups like that, which was really, really great. Um, we got into anti-doping. The United States Anti-Doping Agency brought in our system. They're well known for the group that helped bring down Lance Armstrong when, when they had that doping scandal. And similar, right? Like, you, let's make it easier for people to send tips to us. Let's not make them require on the old ways of hotlines and whistleblower policies. Um, so that that really expanded our growth quickly. But then beyond that, there was a couple of really significant milestones where we had our first international group come to us and say, hey, we know we're not in the U.S., but we're looking to modernize the way that people send information to us. Could we do that? And the answer was yes. And then having universities in a similar way. We're now seeing what you're doing with the college athletic department. Why can't this be done beyond athletics, right, with Greek life and Title IX and bias and compliance and discrimination, like all these other areas that they deal with? having a way to, to, to share those concerns too. So um, I know COVID had a lot of 
negative consequences for many people. And even in my own life, it did too. But to some extent, that was the, um, the business pivot where first of all, I took a step back and I'm like, holy cow, we can't have all of our exits in the college athletics basket because who knows where college athletics, who knows where higher ed is going to be in a year, right? College athletics alone. Um, but shifting our service and being more flexible to be able to place our bets in some of those new areas actually ended up being a, a, a huge um, positive outcome for us. So given the variability in terms of, you know, uh, the person you're selling to what they need the solution for specific to their niche or their, you know, their organization, their role within the organization, all these different things, I can, I can imagine it's, you know, it's hard to have one product that, that serves all of these organizations. How do you, how do you handle that with now more than 1500, uh, customers or clients in your portfolio? Yeah, we, um, first of all, we try to make any product decision um, apply across the board to all of our customers. So we we don't want to make a product that's just unique to one customer unless that customer is already significantly at scale where we could clearly predict what the return would be. Um, every product decision, and we have a fantastic product team and engineering team that helps us sort through that. We want it to be applicable across the board. Um, but then it becomes, you know, having a really good customer success process where you're checking in with your customers on a cadence. You're listening to them, going back to that comment I made earlier, listen to your customers. You're asking for their feedback. You're prioritizing their needs and running them through that implementation where regardless of whether you're starting with one of our products or several of them, we know you're going to get into that point where you're going to be able to see success once you go live. Mm-hmm. And when you look at um, some of the growth that you guys have experienced since college and, and what you see for the future, any any big things coming that, that uh, are important for us to know about? Yeah. Um, as I said earlier, our company's always evolved to what's next. And it's interesting, college athletics and really sports to the greater extent is facing a lot of challenges ahead. I, we've already touched on mental health, but I think that's one that's just going to continue to, to raise a spotlight, which as it should, which as it should. Um, gambling and sports betting is really a, a new frontier for us that we've never seen before as more and more states are legalizing sports betting. Um, and, and what's been amazing there is to see students, student athletes or professional athletes who are placing bets in a very easy to use way on their phone where traditionally like they had to go to the bookie and, you know, more formally place a bet there. They're, they're able to do it on their phone. Um, if they're underage, they're using their parents' login or doing some other type of method. But what's just been honestly amazing to see, and I don't mean amazing in a good way in the last few weeks is the number of athletes that were betting on their own games. Yeah. Um, and that just, raises a whole new set of challenges from an integrity integrity perspective to be able to, again, hold people accountable and address those things when they're going on. Um, but I think it's going to be a large task to be able to, to undertake. You know, you look at a college campus where um, you have oftentimes athletes that are living with non-athletes and let's pretend you're the athlete and I'm the non-athlete. And you and I are just having a casual conversation over a meal one day and you say to me, Hey, I sprained my ankle in practice today. And I'm like, that's interesting. Are you going to play this weekend? Are you going to be as, to the, to the level that you're normal performing? Because you don't know this, but in the back of my head, I'm going, I'm betting on your game. Right. And if I know you're the starting point guard and you're not playing, or at least you're, you're, you're inhibited, like the odds are going to flip. The lines don't know that, right. The public might not know that, but now I do. So 
unintended misuse of insider information, gambling threats. Um, athletes are now dealing with huge amount of threats that are coming through social media too, where there was an example in March Madness this past year where someone hit a shot at the buzzer and it took the lot, it took the outcome right within the line. And a lot of people lost a lot of money and people were going on social media and threatening the student athlete that made that shot threats against their life, their family, et cetera. So that's going to continue to become an issue as well as more and more states legalize gambling. And the question becomes, how do you quantify that? How do you measure it? How do you set the appropriate consequences if it is going on? Um, unfortunately, I think that's a challenge that's going to be able to, to be addressed quickly. But I appreciate like President Baker, the new president of the NCAA, who's already said this is a huge emphasis for us to be able to address the, um, the mental well-being of our athletes. How do you measure it? Well, you got to have data. So we partnered with U.S. Integrity several months ago, which is just an incredible company that's been monitoring the betting lines of, of activity and helping to flag potential issues. They were they became very well known, especially in the aftermath of one of the scandals this past spring that they helped uncover. They're using our tip line now. And one of their goals is to be able to have data to be able to say, you know, these are the number of tips we're receiving present that to the state gaming associations and for the first time have something measurable around that. But um, I appreciate them taking the action in the first step towards solving that, but it's, that's just one step, right? I think there's going to, have to be a lot of them for us to really be able to, to quantify it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So when, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, uh, evolutions as you put it and, and some might call it pivots that a lot of companies need to make, although yours are more, you know, branching out versus pivots. Um, you know, when, when you as a leader are deciding when to move resources or hire new resources or allocate resources to new products, new areas versus doubling down on what's already working, how do you how do you make that decision? Like, what is your thought process that you go through? You know, we call it placing bets. Um, and I I move really quickly when I know it's time to move quickly. I probably move quickly too quickly when I should be moving slowly. But the vast majority of the time, I try to move slow. And to be calculated with some of those decisions. Um, so if we were evaluating, for example, expansion into a new market, what we would not do is put out a big press release, hire a sales force, tell them to go to work and start cold calling prospects. Because I would still have doubts questions is probably the better word of, do we have product market fit? What I'd rather do is go talk to five customers, potential customers, really dig in with them deeply and say, hey, what do you think of this? Could it work? Can you scrutinize it? Tell me what I'm not thinking about. And then pilot it with them for a short period and allow them to tell me after using it, yeah, it's working great. Or if you could tweak this, it would be better. And once we have kind of the equivalent of 10 raving fans versus a hundred people that are ho-hum, then I know we have something worth repeating that we can begin to scale from there. But I, I always think it's a, it's a huge um, missed opportunity to go too quickly without really honing in on what your customers want. So, uh, and you nailed, you nailed it, but I'm sure there's been cases where even when you think you nailed it, there were unexpected challenges, right? Yeah. Um, uh, can you share an example of a time where maybe you committed a resource or committed spend or whatever it is to a promising area or opportunity or bet as you speak? Yeah. Um, 
only to face some unexpected challenge or challenges and how you were able to navigate that situation? Sure. You know, one example that comes to mind was when we be, when we began to expand beyond the athletic department, um, we had a university that took it and ran with it. We did not, um, we did not plan kind of the calm strategy as much around them and really set forward the best practices. And they just kind of put out a press release on their own and mass emailed all their students and staff and everyone else on campus. And they were really happy with the information they received. It was working exactly as planned. What none of us expected was because of us not doing a very thoughtful communication strategy, um, the students weren't aware of what we were. And some of the executives at the university level were unaware of it. And the students were kind of misconstruing it of, wait a second, is this a way for us to tattle on each other? And are you inhibiting on my privacy and making it easier for people to report on X, Y, Z? And the, the answer to that is, well, we've always had hotlines. We've always had people to report. Like we're actually making it so you can be safer by having better ways to communicate with us. But you know, the student newspaper did an article on like, you know, why is this university doing that? And it, it went in the opposite direction that none of us expected, um, where the client, it was a unique position, right? The client was really happy of saying, yeah, we're getting exactly what we want, but we're dealing with all this noise on the outside. And it was a really good learning for us, a learning lesson for us of, okay, now when we implement a school, we're going to follow this checklist policy. One of them now is we want your student newspaper to help break the story, right? Let's give it to the students mm-hmm. ahead of time so they can co- communicate out what this is, what the positives are, et cetera, and to nix any potential negative consequence like what we experienced that first time. So that was, um, it was very unfortunate, but it was a learning experience for us to be able to figure out moving forward the best way to go about this. Yeah, that's a great strategy. I love it. I love it. When you... Um you know, obviously growing, growing a business, growing your business has included taking on risk, especially financial. And I know you've largely bootstrapped to date. So bravo on that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, with, with that comes obviously managing capital efficiently to ensure growth, but also, you know, manage cash burn. So how do you, how do you balance that as as a founder, and how have you, especially as you started to invest in growth uh, or in yeah. new business areas? Well, capital is way more expensive early on versus now. Um, and what I mean when I say that is in those early days, like I remember I'd get a check for a few thousand dollars, and I'm like, holy, holy, thank you, Jesus, this is amazing. Like now we can pay off this bill we have that I didn't have the cash to be able to do. So. It was a little yeah. bit of an extreme, but you have to keep your expenses as low as possible. Um, in hindsight, I maybe would have changed a few of these, but one of them was I moved in with my parents, which was a tough question or not question, a tough conversation with my wife coming out of college when we had just been married of, hey, can we go live with my parents for a while? I'm not going to have a salary. We can't afford rent. Um, let's do it for six months. And it ended up becoming over two years. <laughs> so it was, wow. It was a little bit long, but at the same time, right, it was like, to be able to keep our burns super, super low. Like that was one of the things I had to do. I never paid myself and she worked, which allowed us to be able to, to live alongside not having the, the, the rent responsibility. Um, so I'd say early on, like question every expense, spend as little as possible and spend most of your time testing your hypothesis with your customers, right? 
like what we did. And we made mistakes. I wish we could go back and change. But the best thing we did was to get an MVP that we put in our customer's hand. And I so I know some people disagree with this, but I still think it's the right route. Like, I, I don't mean MVP like it barely works and it's shaky wheels and they're going to deal with bugs. No, like get, get a good product out there that fits what the customer is expecting, but then work with them. Like, even if it takes a little bit longer, right? Like, let them tell you what's working well and what's not, and then go build something. Don't do it. We made some mistakes of like building this shiny new feature where you spend tens of thousands of dollars doing it. And then you find out later, like it's not what the customer wants, or maybe even it's, it's, um, it's worse for the customer, right? It's not, it's not what they want and it's making their problem. There's problems even greater. So I'd say in the early days, it's just so important to control your cash. If you're going down the path we did, right? We raised a little bit of money from friends and family and have done nothing since then. If you raise an angel round or a VC or whatever, different ball game. I'm not your person to talk about that because I've never done it. But I will say now almost 10 years later, that decision allowed me to control my own destiny versus having an expectation from a group of investors that we have to have an exit soon so they can get a return on their investment. I'm not knocking that at all, but that's the reality, right? It's like once you take someone's money, they're expecting a return and we haven't had that pressure. Like we've been able to grow at the pace we want, listen to our customers and stay and stay true to our mission and where we want to be. So you mentioned question every expense. When you look back at your expenses or or your investments into certain things, is there one that uh, that completely paid off that you're so happy you invested in? And maybe one that uh, looking back, if you had, you would have invested maybe in something a little bit different versus what you initially invested in. Yeah. Um, you know, one that comes to mind is we completely outsourced our technology already early on into a third party and not being technical at the time. I didn't realize that it was being written in a very outdated code it was heavily on the back end database database focused versus front end. Let's get the UI and the UX right. Let's make it a good customer experience, and then we'll figure out the back end later. Um, so we actually came to a halt where we're like, "This is not what we need. This is not doing what we needed to do," and flush the code down the toilet. So it was you know six figures easily of money gone that we had to to just let go because it was not going to get the job done. So I'd say when you write code, making sure that you know what it's being written in and that it's going to be scalable and that there's a heavy, heavy, heavy focus on the UI and UX, right? Like the back end, yes, it matters and it needs to scale, but if the customer doesn't like what they're dealing with, then none of it matters. Um, so that was an expensive mistake. You know, one of the best decisions I made early on, and I'm very blessed in that being in Charlotte, we have a um, hub of an airport that goes to a lot of places you know, if I had someone early on that I knew was interested and they wanted to have a meeting, um, I'd go in person. Like, even if they said, oh, we can do it via Zoom, that's fine. I said, no, I want to come. And, you know, I spend three or $400 on a flight. I spend a couple hundred dollars on a hotel. At the time, actually, I should probably, um, I should probably clarify, I didn't do hotels. I did Airbnbs. <laughs> it was cheap as possible. Like, I was staying in someone's room in their house and it was 50 bucks that night or whatever. Um, you know, a little bit of food or whatever. I, I said to myself, Hey, if I spend 500 bucks, thousand dollars, whatever on this trip, but they land as a client, like I'm going to easily, especially if it's a multi-year contract, make that up. 
So I would just fly everywhere. I'd drive anywhere if it was local to get to meet these people because I knew at the end of the day, this was going to be a relationship business and they were going to trust me more than anything. I'm the best person to sell my vision. I can do that in a room better than a Zoom. So mm -hmm. if I had the opportunity to get with anybody in person, I did it across the country, local, wherever. And honestly, Jim, 10 years later, that's reaped dividends for us where I'll have people call me who I met 10 years ago and say, hey, I just got this job at this place. We're ready to do something. Can you help us? And talk about like a good sales model, like zero marketing, zero sales, just good customer relationships and, and strong relationships that led to that based on someone's prior experience. Excellent, dude. Um, when when you look at um, the uh, the role of feedback um, from the athletic community, we'll say of you know all organizations, um, what how has how has any of that shaped feed shaped shaped any decisions that you've made um, either internally or areas where you've invested in. Um, whether that be internal or external, anything stand out in terms of customer feedback, not not generating like product changes, but generating maybe the way you went to market or um, uh, shifting some of the things, some of the areas where you invested in. Any, anything like that come to mind? Well, you know, we just brought on a new CMO who's been fantastic. And it's been interesting to watch her kind of audit our go-to-market strategy, our communication strategy, our marketing strategy, et cetera. And one of the ways our customers have really helped us is to figure out where we need to show up. Um, we need to show up at this specific conference, right? Like this is the conference every year that everyone goes to. You need to have a booth. You don't need to have a booth. Um, you need to have a client dinner, right? Like we had someone tell us that early on, like it's a good idea to have a dinner and invite your customers and invite prospects. And I can really help sell it to someone that's maybe on the fence. Yeah, you're going to spend a thousand bucks on food and drinks or whatever, but First of all, it's going to keep all your current clients happy. And if you land one new client off it, it's going to pay for itself, you know, based off multiples. So I'd say being really strategic on where you're spending your money digitally, in person, et cetera, has very much been shaped off of our customers helping us. And again, it's relationships, right? It's like, hey, Jim, where do I need to go this year? What conferences are you going to be at? Um, where do you consume your information? And then us being able to, to respond appropriately based on what you share with us. Yeah, makes sense. Um, last question before we hop into our founder five. So, you know, the um, there's a lot of founders, a lot of business owners listening in today, um, you know, looking for ways to make their business the most valuable version of itself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, what advice would you give to said business owner that's looking to make a difference in an established industry like collegiate sports, right? Not necessarily one where the industry is growing with you, but one where the industry has been grown is, is, is mature in its essence and, and, um, a way to navigate that situation. Yeah. You know, I'm going to beat a little bit of a dead horse, but I just, I'm so, I'm so passionate about this focus. It's people and relationships. And if you look at an industry like college athletics, and I had people tell me this early on, but I don't think I understood the, the significance of it until I got into it. It's a small industry and people are constantly moving from different universities to others as they get promotions, new jobs, their staff changes, et cetera. So, you know, over the course of that happening at scale, 
you can be pretty confident that any school you're talking to has a connection to someone that you know. So I'd say like, it's going to take more time. And I've been doing this 10 years and I'm the, 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 the image of this, but what you don't want to do is come in and just start scaling like cold calling, cold emailing. Right. I would say find one that you can, that's going to take a shot on you work like heck to service them, listen to them, get on the plane, get on the car, whatever you have to do, right? Like sit with them as much as possible, take them out to lunch, take them out to dinner, like really focus on what their needs are, nail it and then scale it, right? Like nail it with them. And then you can begin to go to others and feel confident that you have a repeatable process versus trying to balance a bunch at once. And if you do 10 things ho-hum, you're going to get 10 ho-hum results versus if you do one really well, then you have the opportunity to do the next nine in a similar way. Awesome. All right, let's let's hop into uh, founder five. So first question, uh, top KPI or metric that you are relentlessly focused on? Yeah, I know this is the, the buzz metric for SaaS, and I don't mean just to use the simple one, but for us, it's really ARR. And I love annual recurring revenue because it encompasses all facets of our business, right? If we're not retaining customers, ARR suffers. If we're not adding new customers, ARR doesn't grow. So to me, I'm constantly tracking ARR because that's really the north light of, are we retaining customers? Are we doing new revenue with those customers? And then are we growing our customer base? And if that continues to go up, then I know the company is in a healthy state. If it's not going up, then I'm going, all right, are we losing customers? Is our sales not doing what it needs to do, et cetera? All right. Uh, yeah. I was expecting maybe you would say live save, but maybe that's in 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, not it really is right now with uh, what they are. All right. So the second one is a top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. It, it really what I've found in the last year, especially as we've grown beyond college, is you're going to get to the point where you're used to doing everything and you can't do it anymore. And one of the best decisions I made was to hire really good seasoned senior people in roles and to let them thrive. So I mentioned the CMO person um, earlier. She's been fantastic and she's done this before. She knows the, 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 the playbook and she's executing it. Um, I'd also say salespeople are gold. So if you can find really good salespeople, they pay for themselves and they grow ARR. And from a SaaS company that's valued off multiples of ARR, like they are, um, they are some of the most important people within your organization. Everyone's important, right? But salespeople can keep a leaky ship moving forward. They can help buy you time to figure things out. So I'd say with the position I am now, find really good seasoned leaders and really set up a sales process where everyone can thrive. But what I'll end with is um, I still do sales. So I've not gotten away from that. I love it. At the end of the day, I have to sell the vision sometimes. And I think founders sometimes step away and remove themselves from sales. And that's where, where issues can happen. Revenue can cure all problems. It can. It can. All right. What is a favorite book or podcast that has helped you to grow as a founder? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you one, but I'm just going to say quickly. I, I've really, in the last couple of years, enjoyed autobiographies. I've read Elon Musk's. That wasn't an autobiography, but biographies, I guess I should say more generally. Um, I enjoyed Bill Knight's shoe dog. So I'd say as much as possible. I've really enjoyed reading about people's stories because I can probably relate to it on my own. Um, I'm still working my way through it, but James Clear's, you know, Atomic Habits has just been amazing. 
And I've been able to apply that to my life and not just the business world, right? It's hey, having a consistent bedtime and setting a routine of what you do in the morning. I've, I've seen enormous benefits just as a result of clearly defining my habits and making sure that I'm staying true to those every single day. Good for you. Uh, all right. Piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom. Um, raising money is not as success always. <laughs> I, I think oftentimes like you see the press releases and the announcements of, Hey, this company raised a bunch of money. And what I've realized after doing this for so long is that's not the goal, right? It help, might help you get to your goal, but that's not your goal. You have to figure out what's your goal and what's going to get you there. And for me, that was never going to get me to my goal. If anything, it might have inhibited me from getting my goal because I'm nine years in, right? That's a really long time for a fund to have an investment. We would have had a return a long time ago that may or may not have been what I wanted. So I'd say like in your world, if you are a business owner or trying to scale, don't seek funding initially unless you are very clear on what your repeatable process is and what you're going to do after you get the money. Like a much better route is to focus on what you want to do and to be very nimble with how you want to get there. And then maybe you get to a point that you raise money, but it doesn't have to happen in that initial part. All right. Last one. Uh, what is going to be the title of your autobiography when people are reading it? That's a good question. Um, you know, the, the word that I've always applied to myself is determination. And I, I just think that um, in life, keeping your head down and staying after something over and over and over against all odds, when things become hard, when you're questioning whether you should be doing this or not, luck is great. You know, um, other things that might affect your, your outcome are great, but it, if you're not determined and you don't keep your head down, then it's just not going to happen. Um, so I, maybe determination is not the word, but that's immediately what came to mind. It's just some type of focus on, what you're doing and relentlessly pursuing it through, through, throughout all the odds and no matter what, what comes to your way. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, you've given a ton to our listeners today, David. So thank you for that, but also time for a little bit of self-promotion. How can those listening help you out? Yeah, I'd say if you are looking for um, ways to enhance your communication within your organization, um, better ways for people to be able to share feedback, concerns, et cetera. We work with companies of all sizes, not even unique to just sports anymore. Would love the opportunity to be able to work with you. I'm sure many of you have perhaps children in youth sports too. That's another route that we're going and, and providing a, a service to that group as well. So uh, our website is www.realresponse.com. Please feel free to give us a shout. We'd love to hear your ideas, your questions, your feedback. And certainly if there's a way that we can partner with you, we'd love to be open to it. Excellent. All right, David Chadwick, Real Response. Great things happening. Great things continuing to happen. Thank you for joining us on The Dirt. And thank you, David, for joining us. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate all your hard work and raising a spotlight to this area that I know a lot of founders and business owners like myself. You bet. Absolutely. Take care. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.